Hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for coming. And uh, we have the very big honor of having uh, President Adnan here with us to tell us about the financial system and his reform. As you all know, we've gone through two years of uh, loss of faith in, in, our, in our markets, in our institutions, and we've seen a lot of uh, proposals to change the way we govern our financial markets. Um, a lot seemed about to change, maybe a year ago, after AIG, after Lehman's, and now a lot seems to maybe not not going to happen. We're going to see. And uh, we're very pleased to have uh, President Nair to give us his view on what should happen and what, sh what should not in the financial markets, as you all know. Um, he was born in Madrid. He has studied law and been a tax inspector. He was the, afterwards uh, a politician of the Popular Party and Prime Minister of Spain, President of the Government, for two terms, uh, from 1996 to 2000 and then from 2000 to 2004. And as I say, it's a great honor for the LSE to welcome President Nair uh, to our hall. Thank you. Thank you very much, Professor Garicano, and uh, dear friends, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for being so kind to share your time with me. Uh, as Professor Garicano said, I am here today to present to you the latest strategic report conducted by the FIES Foundation, titled The Reform of International Financial System, a Proposal with the lessons for the crisis. This is an extensive analysis on the current economic crisis in which a diagnosis on what has happened is provided. It also contains what we consider are the appropriate measures to heal the international financial system. For those of you who may not know it, I have been sharing FIES Foundation seat its creation 20 years ago. At FIES, we believe in free markets as the most powerful tool for human development. We hold respect for individual rights and liberties as essential. And we are strong advocates of the Atlantic Alliance. This is the partnership between Europe and America as the best way to preserve democracy, freedom, our security, and prosperity. I can assure you, FICE is an excellent think tank. And this report is an excellent <laughs> I am very proud that uh, through our constant work, we are contributing to strengthen these values. Our purpose is to create, promote, and disseminate ideas based on political, intellectual, and economic freedom. Ideas that can offer policy alternatives to socialism and interventionism, and ideas based on reality that can be applied on practical terms. These ideas are those that have inspired this report because we know that ideas, good ideas, can shape a better world. Free and open markets have proved to be 
the best economic system. Free markets map make free people. The current financial and economic crisis has provided some with the perfect excuse to criticize free market economy and present it as the sum of all evils. There are those who have not missed the opportunity to try to certify the death of capitalism, to blame all failures of free markets, to state that, that this crisis proves the inefficiency of the market system. I do not share these alarmist opinions that try to blame free markets for the current crisis, nor did I share the comparison these very same people made portraying the current situation as a new Great Depression. No, we know they were wrong. I am an optimist because I am confident on the strength of free people and of the res resilience of free societies. I believe in free markets because they have brought about prosperity, wealth, and have reduced poverty more than at any other time in history. Precisely because there still remains a lot to be done to eliminate poverty, we should stand firmly by these principles. Those voices that try to blame the crisis on market failures are the same voices that had blamed capitalists for pretty much everything since 1989. The Berlin Wall fell hard on those who were incapable of accepting the failure of their old creed. Of those not just nostalgic of the times of central planning and social engineering, and on those who have been looking for a way to cheer down not only markets, but freedom itself. The curious thing about this trend is that they lack the necessary analysis of facts. They pay little attention to the threat and with just a quick look at what has happened, they fall under their own sectarian misjudgment. Once again, time is certifying how grown they were on their analysis of this crisis. It makes no sense at all to state that this crisis is a new edition of 1929. The world is now six times richer. Bank deposits are now guaranteed. The monetary system is not based on the gold standard. And the rate of return outside the banking sector is now about 10%, while in 1929 it was roughly 0.5%. The differences are big. To a great extent, precisely because we learned and implemented some of the lessons provided by Great Depression. This is, or has been should I say, a serious crisis, of course, especially for those suffering unemployment. But this is not a new Great Depression. 
if it took the U.S. economy nearly 10 years to recover after the 1929 crisis. But today, the debate is about the strength and the timing of recovery. There is only one possibility that this crisis will become a new Great Depression, and that is to make the same mistakes that we made 80 years ago. Protectionism, interventionism, and huge amounts of public debt are direct path for this to happen. Certainly, the risk of unsustainable public finances should be today a major concern for responsible leaders. I do not think the solution to a crisis that could be labeled as a private debt crisis is the accumulation of a huge amount of new public debt. This policy reaction does not make sense. It does not promote a sound basis for the recovery needed by our economies. We need a strong and sound recovery to heal the damages the crisis has inflicted upon our communities and societies. And it makes no sense either to say that free markets are responsible for the crisis. I may be wrong, but I think central banks are the ones in charge of monetary policy. And central banks worldwide, worldwide and not markets were the ones that during the times of prosperity flooded world economy with money too cheap for too long. Cheap money that allowed many bubbles to appear. Cheap money that fueled indebtedness in many Western economies. Cheap money that inflated financial and real estate asset bubbles. Cheap money that fostered huge imbalances in the world economy. I also believe governments were the ones that did not succeed in properly regulating and supervising financial markets. And uh, I ask you all, who was it that promoted, through its housing policy, the extension of credit to hundreds of thousands of people who were not able to repay their loans? And who paid in Europe on huge public expenditure and did not undertake economic reforms? I think you all know the answers to these questions. And yes, of course, many executives in financial firms around the world were negligent in their risk manage management responsibilities and act with complacency. Some even assume and act as if no crisis, no crisis could ever happen again. It is fair, therefore, that the market, market punishes with severe losses those wrong behaviors and decisions. That is not a market failure, but the expression of a good operating market. So, as I was saying, after a quick review of the facts, 
we see how this crisis is far from representing the death of free markets as some too quickly declare. Certainly, many mistakes have been made on the part of all agents in the market, and I do not believe the market is perfect. Of course not. But it has proved to be the best mechanism for achieving global prosperity. And I am confident of its capability of reforming itself. That is why I said I am an optimist. As Winston Churchill once said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and the optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. We are undergoing difficult times, yes, but let us see the opportunity hidden within. We have the opportunity to learn from this crisis. We have the opportunity to learn from experience and react with better regulation, better public policies, and an efficient undertaking on the roles in trust to the government better regulation and no bigger government is what is needed. We should avoid a re-regulating process that risks killing the much necessary innovation and incentives in the economy needs to recover. Also, we should avoid losing momentum for implementing the necessary reforms under the mirage that the worst part of the crisis is behind us. Those would be fatal mistake that risk undermining the strong recovery that our societies demand. We should have learned for this crisis how power powerful incentives are and how destructive it can be to distort the incentives under which the financial sector operates for the sake of short-sighted political objectives. When I commissioned two prominent Spanish economists, Fernando Fernandez and Fernando Navarrete, the task of undertaking this report, I simply asked them two simple questions. What has gone wrong and how can we fix it? Getting the right answers to these two basic questions is essential to provide greater stability to all become and restore public confidence. Not only does the cyclical recovery of economy depend on it, more importantly, the long-term potential of our economies lies on the adequate response to the challenges this crisis has posed in front of us. Efficiency and fairness are the basic two pillars upon which economic, economic freedom can defend itself from its enemies. The solution to this crisis is also an opportunity for responsible leaders to reinforce these pillars vis-a-vis -vis society. For those leaders that only take decisions based on prejudice and flaw ideology, this report may be useless. For those that to try to provide the most appropriate framework for prosperity to flourish, this report 
will be of help. Dear friends, we have to learn from this crisis that on the onset of the crisis, the policy instruments in the hands of governments were inadequately prepared for a world of greater economic and financial interdependence, complexity, and openness. Contrary to those that see globalization the cause of all harms, I see its potential for delivering wealth and prosperity to those that for too long were kept away of opportunities. But as economists say, there is no such thing as a free lunch and to take full advantage of these new opportunities. Government tools and policies have to adapt to the new requirements of a global economy. The political reactions to the financial crisis have broken all traditional prescriptions. The challenges we, have, we face highlight the need for a new rules based setting to which all participants in the financial markets can abide by. New rules especially designed to be applied also in times of systemic crisis are needed. This new way of thinking should lead to predictable, anticipated and efficient government reactions. Rules and now beforehand could increase public confidence in the resilience of the system, prevent future crises and alleviate the impact of those that inevitably will continue to occur. Public policies should promote and reward some risk-taking and management. Regulations should take into account systemic risk and increase interdependence in the global financial sector. As you all know better than I do, bubbles are created when monetary and credit conditions are too loose for too long. And we had witnessed too much of this prior to the crisis. In this report, you might find in detail some proposal to increase the effectiveness of central banks to attain two objectives, not always easy compatible, as price stability and financial stability. Transparent and clear rules that restore the importance of money and credit growth should help insulate central banks from political pressures and enhance their transparency, independence and accountability. In the area of financial regulation, current re-regulating trends pose the risk ending up with a new regulation which is too interventionist that will create new regulatory arbitrage opportunities and reduce innovation. In this area, it is essential to encourage financial institutions to adopt business strategies that promote greater financial stability. The proposals in this report aim to encourage innovation to lead to a more robust financial system. In this vein, bank strategies where are considered to increase system risk should be charged extra capital requirements according to a proposed new macroprudential pillar to be included under renovated international capital adequacy standards. The implementation of this approach will serve to reduce excessive risk-taking and also reduce the procyclical effect 
of current solvency rules. In any case, no matter how good financial regula regulation will be, we must recognize that the export supervisory intervention will still be required in the future. And you all know that the cost of a banking crisis is lower the sooner it is detected and the sooner the intervention takes place. Therefore, supervisors should have the capacity to intervene preemptively, gradually, and with legal certainty when the solvency of financial institution or the stability of the system is threatened. Also, international crisis management should be reinforced by pre-agreed and binding commitments by the government in which an international bank operates. Public interventions will only serve a sustainable purpose if they meet the principle of rewarding prudent behaviors, or at least they do not damage the competitive position of those institutions that do not need public support. Unfortunately, this has not always been the case during this crisis. The final recapitalization of the banking system is a must in order to avoid the recurrence of financial instability episodes that will delay and weaken economic recovery. <coughs> The poor implementation of different rescue pa packages in the past has led to social distrust and the creation of negative effects to other countries. In the end, this has given rise to the emergence of a new financial protectionism that, that is even more pervasive than traditional protectionist measures. A more fruitful approach will be a coordinated recapitalization strategy of a viable, although undercapitalized credit institutions along the following principles. Full transparency, maximum efficiency and taxpayer protection in the use of public funds, minimum public sector involvement in banking management, use of prices generated by competitive procedures among private parties and a clear public sector exit strategy. And let's be clear when talking about recapitalization package. It is not about rescuing imprudent banking managers, shareholders or bondholders with taxpayers' money. This is all about protecting the legitimate interest of depositors and taxpayers. In Europe, we face all the above mentioned global challenges. But in addition, we are amidst the process of increasing financial markets integration. One of the lessons for this, the crisis is that, at least for those countries in the Euro area, real financial sector integration with no regulatory hurdles across borders is necessary to fully enjoy the benefits of the single currency. This integration process could be spurred and speed up if countries could agree on a single European voice in certain international institutions, like the IMF. Certainly the task ahead is not easy. 
We are now facing a reform process that will shape the international financial system for the decades to come. We need to get it right to grasp all the potential of an open, prosperous, innovative and a state global economy. And I do hope we will do so and the ideas in this report will contribute to it. Thank you very much for your attention. Thanks. Thanks very, very much for those words, Mr. President. And we have a uh, 20 minutes or so for a Q&A. Uh, yeah, we will have uh, several people roaming the room with uh, microphones so that you can pose questions. Um, if you want, I'll, I'll pose the first question, uh, a not easy one, um, which is this one. Um, I, uh, one, one English uh, regulator said, if banks are too big to fail, they're too big. Um, in essence of the capitalist system is if you make mistakes, you pay for them. You go bankrupt. And if we have institutions that can blackmail us but being too big and we have to just keep rescuing them, they're going to be betting with house money. So institutions, should it should be possible for them to fail. Uh, what's your view of this? Are, should we break down too big to fail banks? Uh, is the capital charge like the one you suggested uh, enough? What, what, what should we do? Well, well, uh, well, Luis, I am a former politician. I'm not an expert in these questions, especially. No? But uh, I believe that the, the, the real, the general real, should be should be to maintain to, to maintain the idea that if if a bank of a financial institution are problems problems enormous problems without capacity to resolve is needed to the intervention of administration change the managers the management of this company and maybe intervene the company and sell the company. This is the rule. I accept there is some cases is extremely complicated, and to discuss about the, the, the big of the of the bank can be problematic. Now, but in general, for me, the rule is this, because it's the more more important uh, uh, idea we thought to to clean the financial system, to eliminate bad behaviors, to eliminate bad manager, management, and to establish a new possibilities for new institutions and new banks. Anyway, avoid the collapse of the financial system is a good decision for the current leaders, in favor of the current leaders, no? in my view. Take the resolution of the crisis put the resolution of the crisis in increase deficit and debt in other countries is a serious mistake in my view for the government. Thank you. Um, I have a question up there and one down here, please. If you don't mind, uh, identify yourself before the question so that we know. Yeah, my name is Paul Stickley. I, 
<coughs> actually like to remind Mr. Asnar that he was in power up to 2004. Uh, several of his uh, <coughs> party members in Marbella and various other administrations are under uh, in, in the courts because of their corruption and their nepotism over the <coughs> building crisis. So I think it's a bit in, disingenuous to blame the PSOE for that. Both parties have had their noses in the trough. <coughs> I thought your report was without substance and very vague. After hearing it, I'd say God help capitalism. The second point was, <clears throat> you talk about free markets at the very beginning, but spend the rest of your lecture talking about intervention. I think that's a bit of a contradiction. Will you, will you get to the question, please? Yeah, the question is, in Spain, the labour reforms, which I think most parties are agreed on, which I don't agree with, calling for the working class to pay for the crisis caused by the capitalists and their advisers, <clears throat> including the likes of the faculty at the LSE. <clears throat> Why should the working class pay for a crisis not of their making? This is a good question to ask uh, the current Labour government in Spain. <laughs> I, I mean, I am, no, this is a question of the, of ide ideology, not, but it's simple, simple to me is to reflect facts, no? In equivalent terms, I am conservative, but in my time in government, we created more than six million new jobs in my country during eight years, eight, eight years, for working class, exactly, more more than five million new jobs. When, when I take office, the number of workers in, in Spain are exactly 12 million people. When I left office, more, almost 18 million people. This is a good social revolution in my view. And the, the, to create a machinery, to create uh, a new employment, is the responsibility of the governments that don't take the good decisions and don't promote good policies. The result in this moment is 20% of unemployment in Spain and more than 500 million unemployed. This is the response of different policies. Facts in economy are extremely important to be respected. Um, next question, please. Uh, ne next question, please. Um. Thank you, Mr. Asner. Should I carry on? Um, my name is Sophie Stevens. I'm a Development Management Master's student here at the LSE. Um, my question is about the extent to which you think a lack of information was important in the way that this crisis has hit Spain and um, as you were in government at this time or the, the years, some of the years preceding, I wondered if you could comment on how you think that should be reformed because it seems 
that many of the leaders and people who were in key positions to prevent the damaging effects of the crisis had very little knowledge of where the debt was backed up by um, the extent to which banks were over lending high, much higher percentages. They didn't have the correct reserves. Um, and I just wondered if you could comment on what, what it was like from your position. How much what, did you know? Why did you not know what was happening? And how do you think this can be improved in future? Thank you. I published recently a, a book called Spain Can Live Crisis. It's a good book, I, I, I suggest <laughs> reading. Because uh, I defend in this book my policies and my ideas about how it's possible to live crisis for the country. No? But I explain simply my idea, which is uh, it's not it's, uh, very clearly, if it's possible for me. If you are a member of the very strong economic area, as is Europe, you have the advantage, some advantages. One of these advantages, discipline, security, stability, credibility. But you resign your capacity to define monetary policy in the country. You transfer monetary sovereignty to the European Central Bank. You are in the umbrella European Central Bank. Great umbrella, excellent umbrella, but in some times maybe tough umbrella or shield if you prefer. If you have the guarantee of stability and security in one hand and you renounce to the possibility to make the competitive devaluation and your currency in times of crisis, you have the responsibility to balance this situation. If it is impossible for me gain competitive, to, be, to become more competitive with taking monetary decisions, I take, I have the, the responsibility to take decisions in favor of more flexible economy, more flexibility and economy. It's the only way to gain competitiveness in the economy. This means to me balance, ba balance budgets and no huge deficits. This means to me less taxes and no more taxes. This means to me with a uh, rates of unemployment of 20% a new flexibility or reform of labor market. This means to me more liberalization in different economic sectors, more privatization especially in the local and regional uh, administrations, more openness to the, to the competence in the world, more free trade. This is, this is my answer. This is my response to this crisis. This is my policy. But you take the decision in the opposite side. More deficit. Okay. 12% of deficit. I congratulate you. More taxes. Perfect. No labor market reform. Perfect. No liberalization. More interventionism. 
more indebtedness. Well, this is the other way. But the result of this way is that the crisis in, in, in the country is more deep and more difficult to live than the crisis in another country. If you can imagine a simple scenario, and possible, if you imagine that in the next months, in the next weeks, in the weeks to come, and the year to come, France and uh, Germany and some and other, other economies in Europe beginning to recover the situation, and the European Central Bank take the decision to to raise rate of interest a small quantity, the consequence for economy as Spanish economy with a problem of public debt, of private debt, debt enormous, will be terrible. This is one of the reasons, because to encourage the current uh, government in the country to take reforms, in my country and other, in other countries, in my view, to take reforms and not continue in a policy that is only more and more and more and more deficit and, and uh, indebtedness is absolutely basic in my view. But this is a different view of how it's possible to live the crisis. The, the advantage for me is that I receive a country in crisis in the 90s with 24% of unemployment, 7% of deficit, 70% of debt public, and we transform this situation. But we transform this situation with policies that I explained, not with the current policies. Um, yes, I have a question here, please. Hello, um, I'm a student European political economy here at LSE, and I would like to know what you think of, uh, of the European approach on the crisis, and especially the policy of Nelly Cruz, the competition commissar. She's a very intelligent woman, but uh, I, I, I defend, uh, I defend. But this is no, no problem only of the, of the, of the will of a, of a woman. It's a problem of the, of the policy in the, in, the, in the European Commission. And for, we have two, two very important pillars in Europe, in my view. One pillar is Euro, uh, the, the single currency, the euro, and another pillar is the single market. If you must take care of single market. And now we have a lot of problems in the single market because all this neoprotectionism in different countries in the world is, uh, is, is a problem for us. And all the efforts to, to sustain this possibility of to maintaining to gain competitiveness I think is, is very, very important and I appreciate very much the policy of, uh, of uh, the commissary crisis. I, 
Hello. But I know mentioned in the in the start of the in the beginning of my intervention, my friend Peter Sutherland and, and the ambassador of Spain, because I don't see. <laughs> Hi. I love the first rant, but not the second rant. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Please. Go ahead. Hi. Yes, Hi. My name. That's fine. My name is Fernando Diaz. Uh, I have a question about. Uh, you mentioned there is an opportunity in every crisis, uh, and uh, I was listening to uh, Jim O'Neill from Goldman Sachs yesterday talking about uh, his uh, forecasts for growth for China, which are you know above 13 percent, anywhere between 13 and 14 percent for the next quarter. Uh, forecast for Latin America also extremely positive, particularly Brazil. Uh, I wonder what's uh, on forecast for Europe, as you know, obviously in the, in the very low single digits. Uh, and I, I wonder what's your, your view on, on the, the opportunity for Europe. Uh, uh, maybe it's not uh, based on growth. Maybe it's based on a different measure, uh, like uh, the President of, of France is actually proposing or investigating. And I wonder whether there is a measure there that you think is the right measure for Europe that may not be the same measure for emerging economies that we should actually use as a plan to, to actually execute policy uh, and execute eventually uh, some of the ideas that you were suggesting? This is a very important strategic question. And that is, in my view, the most important decision for the current European leaders. I do not believe that the, all the institutional debate were really important for Europe. The question is, how is it possible for Europe to increase our influential in the world. How? Technologically? Military? Demographically? Or economically? In my view, the only opportunity for Europe is economy. To improve influence in the world. But military is not possible. Demographically is clearly impossible. Uh, technologically, more or less, but in economic terms, is is is, is decisive. This is one of the reasons because some friends that thinking with me exactly the same. We propose in two thousand the Lisbon Agenda. With this Lisbon Agenda is to convert Europe in the most important economic area in the world. Why? For economic reasons, not only for economic reasons. This is the answer and a strategical question. How is it possible to, 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 to become more influenced? Unfortunately for us, the Lisbon strategy is abandoned. Uh, and uh, we begin in all this question about institutional debates that is extremely uh, funny and uh, everybody know very well that that funny is to, to, to discuss about the, the institutional system in Europe. But we lose this opportunity. Now, with this crisis, we have another opportunity. is to recover this spirit and to promote a period of a very, very, very serious reforms and openness in, uh, in Europe. More flexibility, more competitiveness, more openness in the world. 
but uh, I'm fear that this is not uh, exactly the way that choose some leaders in Europe. No? But uh, if I have uh, no, this is my idea. I don't like problems in some expression. No? <laughs> I, this is my idea. This is the, the, the correct path for Europe. In my view, the unique path for Europe. I, I encourage current leaders take this path uh, quickly. So we can take a last uh, quick question. Uh, if we have here one, one here, please. Uh, we make it quick because we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, thank you. Hello, uh, my name is Antonio Ruiz. Um, I would like to ask you... Antonio uh, Ruiz. Antonio Ruiz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in Spanish banks, I have um, not suffered the crisis that deeply, like in other countries. I would like to know your reasons for this or your views on this, and if it's any lessons other countries could learn from the Spanish banks. Well, I think the Spanish bank is a, the, the, the financial system in Spain, in terms of the banks, is a very efficient very good banks. In comparison with a, a lot of other countries in Europe or in, uh, in, uh, in America, it's very strong position. The efficiency is very, very favorable to, to the Spanish bank. And then the measures that uh, taken for the different uh, governance in the central bank in Spain is, is very good, especially the decision taken in, in the 2000, year 2000. Contra-cyclical mm, measures and to to establish the, the the responsibility for the banks to 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 devote uh, a, a huge amount of money to 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 prevent the crisis. Extremely important. No? This is uh, one of the difference. No, and uh, we have uh, another problems in in, in in another part of the of the financial system, especially in the cajas de ahorro, some cajas de ahorro, but in the the banks that you know. And as you know, especially well in this country, uh, I think it's a good situation. Well, thanks very, very much. Uh, that was uh, really a pleasure to have you here all. Um, we, I would appreciate, uh, after we leave the event, if you remain seated for a couple of minutes while President Adnar leaves the, audi the auditorium. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thanks, President. Thank you very much. Okay. Muchas gracias.